0: Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of British produce and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome and thanks for tuning into the show, which celebrates the best food and drink found on our doorsteps. On this episode, I'm joined by chef and grower Dan Cox.
1: You know, having a farm at Longclean and then cooking with the produce from your own farm, it was, I mean, it was just the next level, the next step. And, you know, once you've had it, it's very hard to to do anything else, really.
0: And our resident forager, Fergus Drennan, talks about this.
2: Gorgeous, cold, resilient crab apples.
0: But first, here's my update from the food world. Having opened oh so briefly before lockdown, Asma Khan's new Covent Garden restaurant is now doing deliveries from its deli arm. Order the likes of Keem and Naan mutton toasties, catty rolls, tamarind dal, and lots of desserts, plus that amazing masala chai to go. The team are delivering up to five miles from the restaurant, so that does cover quite a lot of London. Next, on a more break-the-budget level, two-Michelin-star chef Claire Smith, who has the restaurant core in Notting Hill, now has a meal kit. And what a meal kit it looks! The core at home menu features the likes of caviar gougere and fallow deer with celeriac and black Perigord truffle. It looks amazing, but it will set you back £175 per person with a minimum two-person order. <laughs> Lastly, there's a new chocolate company to take note of. Kai Shibita, an ex-pastry chef at The Ritz in London, and chef Sven Hansen-Brit, winner of Masterchef The Professionals, have created cartography chocolate, producing handmade, single-origin chocolates. Born out of the first lockdown, when both the chefs found themselves out of work, their filled chocolates are expressions of particular regions and cocoa bean varieties. I love the sound of their salted bernoisette ganache from the Dominican Republic's Yuna Valley and their scorched, hay-infused caramel ganache with roasted banana using Trinitario beans grown in a Tanzania national park. So those are your three foodie things on your doorstep this week and now let me introduce you to my guest for today. My guest today is a chef-cum-farmer who has worked in some of the UK's top restaurants, such as Ferrer at Claridge's and Simon Rogan's Long Clume in the Lake District. He's now spearheading regenerative methods of farming down on 120 acres of land in Cornwall and growing amazing produce that can be enjoyed via notorious boxes across the country. He's here to speak to us about this type of farming and what he's growing. So welcome, Dan Cox. How are you doing?
1: I'm really good, thank you.
0: What's happening in Cornwall?
1: Um, well, at the moment, uh, a lot of sheep activity. Mm. When, when the grass stops growing in the winter, the sheep have to be moved a little bit more often. And we're on with um sort of doing a lot of improvement works on the farm at the moment. We're getting new, new fridges in place and um, okay. putting up a few tunnels and stuff.
0: Okay. So, yeah. Do you want to just give me a little bit of background about your kind of journey to Cornwall, I guess? Because you've been there for three years now, I think?
1: Four years now, yeah. Four years. Wow. Yeah. 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 So
0: why are you there?
1: Well, I mean, the main reason is... It's where our produce was coming from, or most of our produce was coming from, um, up in London.
0: When you were at Claridge's?
1: Exactly, when we were at Claridge's, yeah. I mean, we, we had our own farm um, back up at clume, mm-hmm. and we used to send ourselves produce once a week. But um majority of our, the produce that we bought would come from Cornwall. Um, and I used to go down and visit farms, um, you know, fish supplies and stuff down in Cornwall, and just sort of built up a bit of a love and affinity for... for for the area Mm. and an opportunity came up to take on a farm and and i just jumped at the chance really because you know having a farm at long and then cooking with the produce from your own farm it was i mean it was just the next level the next step and you know once you've had it it's very hard to to do anything else really so it was just yeah the need and want to kind of get onto a farm and just be involved in farming and looking at how you know we could we can improve and change things in our industry you know from from the ground up really
0: yeah because when you're at Longclume you basically set up a kind of farm in cumbria didn't you
1: yeah exactly exactly i mean when i joined simon we already um worked with an organic farm so he, he you know he had his own farm but as we as we expanded with organic um in london we, we needed more more supply and more consistency with the product so we decided it'd be a good idea to start our own farming operation and yeah we kind of did mm. that from scratch with no real knowledge and um, and just kind of set it up looking looking at the best examples of you know sort of organic productive agriculture across the world and trying to come up with our own ideas and processes to produce you know produce for the highest level
0: Yeah. So actually, when you moved down to Cornwall, it wasn't a huge shock to the system. It's not like you'd never done it before.
1: No, no. (laughs) Oh, fine. Okay. I thought it was, um,
0: I thought you were initially completely new to all of it.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was kind of like an in and out, you know, going to London for three years. And um, then operating Farrah was definitely, he definitely told me that I needed to get back to the farming. Okay. You know, it's because there were so many things wrong of Farrah in terms of supply too, because, you know, best will in the world, you know, you can Mm. cherry pick all of all of your suppliers, but there's still the large, well, there was a large element of supply that was uh, unknown and slightly questionable. Um, And that was the thing really getting, trying to get onto a farm to kind of sort of challenge these things head on.
0: Yeah. You want to know where everything's coming from.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And how it was produced and, you know, and and what effect it was having on our, on our soil was mainly.
0: Yeah, so down in Cornwall, you grow some amazing veggies um, and you work with Natura, who helps supply them. Um, so what are you growing down there?
1: So, I mean, we're growing all sorts of things, really. So, I mean, we started a project last year, um, you know, working with Natura, and we kind of built the, the produce list together, you know, so it's kind of things that, we'll, that, that we know will work or, or things that I really love and you know sort of want to want wanted to do um i mean the thing that we're really scaling up this year are artichokes you know at, at Faro, all the artichokes that i would buy would come from natura you know they're the they're the best artichokes you can get your hands on and, mm-hmm. and the spiky that they that they were selling they're incredible you know you can eat slice them raw and and just eat them raw lightly dressed and they're just an exceptional product and i mean we have been working for the last sort of all the whole four years here, growing artichokes on a smaller scale, and just trying to work out the best, the best way of, you know, we'll, we'll getting the best out of them really. Mm. And um, we're going to be planting seven and a half thousand of them this this season. <laughs> wow! Um, and we developed a, a system where we where we sow like a, a range of like ten different plants underneath the artichokes. So the I mean, the artichokes are perennials, so that's like the ultimate in terms of a vegetable. the the inner regenerative system Mm. because it stays in the ground for a long period of time you know many years and gives you a small amount of fruit from each plant but with all the other plants growing underneath and that the the plant sort of dying and coming back every year um you end up with really really incredible soil around the plants which in turn means that the the product will be incredible too Um, but then we're going to be we're growing a lot of squash different varieties some from italy um, some from the US and some from here.
0: Okay, yeah, because I was going to talk to you about um, what kind of varieties you focus on. Is it like local Cornish? Because I think I've seen some Cornish checkery being grown down um, yeah. on the farm and like kind of heritage crops, or is it, um, you know, Italian and, and various things? So is it a mixture then?
1: It's a mixture, it's a mixture. I mean, for, for, for us, the it's not necessarily about... Um, where the seed has come from, because I mean, there there are no real um, heritage Cornish varieties when it comes
0: to artichoke, <laughs> comes to artichokes or chicory
1: or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's, it's it's more about where it was grown and how it was grown.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, everything we do here with our with with our growing methods is just focused on soil health and flavour. You know, and, and the two are directly linked. So. You know we we do the, the most we can to support the soil and we're really interested in in new and interesting things Um so it's you know sort of scouring different organic seed supplies around the world to find things that we can grow that, that, that are new interesting you know new new flavor profiles and that's that sort of thing but but the main thing is trying to find out what works best with our soil mm. um you know it's no good trying to grow something that that, that won't work well here and I mean, that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, you know, trialing different, like lots of different things and, and seeing what works best. Um, yeah. I mean, like beach, beach work really, really well with our soil. We've got a it's it's a clay loam soil, so it's, it becomes quite difficult to work in the winter, mm. but it's very, very rich in minerals. So deep, deep rooting plants work very well. Um, so the artichokes incredibly deep rooting and then yeah, uh, beetroot the chicories exactly the same they kind of okay they all
0: any like turnips or i can imagine they might work quite well
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah we did some really great turnips last year We're going to continue them this year uh Hinona kabu from japan they're like a long a very long turnip um
0: oh yeah kind of like moody shaped yeah Is exactly right... with
1: a purple top and then mm. yeah and white really sweet lovely um and that that's another thing as well because we've, we've come onto this farm and we've Um, it's been organic for 15 years, but the soil was quite tight and compacted. Mm. Um, so we've been trying to grow things, uh, that really penetrate through the soil and open it up. Um, so, so, you know, kind of, of, again, sort of working with things that are going to help us and, and, and sort of help support, you know, our soil Mm -hmm, year mm -hmm. on year.
0: And then are there any fields with like, like one crop? Are you trying to really mix things up together? No,
1: just com- yeah, completely mixing things yeah, up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, that's the most important thing. The most important thing is, uh, you know, the, your growing situation is, is, bio, is, is, is as biodiverse as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, as many plants as possible, as many families as possible. Um, and that's what the, so with the artichoke we're going to be growing them in a large area on their own but we're going to have those 10 plants underneath that are fixing nitrogen supporting the plant and providing a cover for the for the soil um, but then we'll have the squash right next to them and we'll have beetroots next to them too so each, each situation that we that we grow yeah we'd always have More more than one thing growing there, so no no monocrops.
0: Yeah, okay, no monocrops.
1: And then the other important thing is the the sheep, really. Mm. I mean, we we've got growing areas that are kind of exclusively for veg, but then we've got um, areas that we're mixing veg in with pasture. So we'll have the sheep grazing right next to the veg.
0: Hopefully, with a fence up.
1: (laughs) With a fence up, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, nice. Um, And you've got cover crop as well within there, and yeah, as you say, focusing on the biodiversity
1: exactly exactly And one of the things that we work, we're sort of developing this year after some trials last year is actually growing vegetables in cover crops so we sow a cover crop that's intended to improve the soil you know through biomass uh, fixing nitrogen and just generally providing a, a really healthy situation mm. but then just sticking beetroot in there say or, or carrots in there okay. doing them in long strips so we'll you know get those sown all at once there'll be a range of like again sort of 10 12 different plants um and then when that is ready then we'll go in and harvest what we want to and then after that we'll put the the sheep on top and let them graze the rest of the plants
0: oh i see because i i wouldn't imagine that you know something would grow within it because cover crop tends to be like a meter or like a, or a half you know can be quite tall
1: exactly yeah yeah
0: you know that's quite a shock to me because I wouldn't think it has like had the light and therefore it wouldn't grow or but no yeah.
1: well I mean there's there's two 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 ways to it I mean one is um to make sure that all the rest of the plants are low growing plants okay because you know um you know within what you would deem to be a cover a cover crop plant or seed there's there's a whole range of heights within that so you just kind of pick all the ones that are the shortest height to allow say the beetroot to flourish. Yeah. But then, I mean, last year we did a a 30 way cover crop mix. um, And that had uh, stubble turnips, tillage radish and kale in there. And I mean, all of those became harvestable. So, you know, we had big, long moolies in the tillage radish. We had the stubble turnips, which were like just these big, huge, sweet, juicy turnips. And then all of the kale we kind of just harvested straight from the top. So it kind of snapped out the top quarter and then sort of bunch those up and, and i mean what what we took was was tiny compared to what was what was left and then we put the sheep in after that mm-hmm, to, to to graze it all off and and to you know further improve the biology and um health of the soil
0: yeah perfect um and what have been i mean obviously you're very passionate about artichokes but what other yeah. things have you kind of discovered and that are like your favorite new things to grow and or eat
1: I mean, saltus sel- is something we do, we, we do quite well and, um, and we love and it's gone quite well uh, last season. So it's like, um, it's a stem lettuce. It, it's the lettuce family it looks like a lettuce when it starts to grow. And then it just starts to bolt and produces this really huge um, sort of tender green stem. Mm. And it's, it's, it's really sweet. It's almost got like a nutty sort of cashew nut kind of flavour to it too. It's really, really interesting. Um, and that's something we've we we we're going to do quite a bit of this year nice um i mean we we love herbs as well I think it's really important to have as many um perennial and uh biannual plants mixed in uh to your growing situation too i mean if everything's kind of like um annual seed from scratch every single year yeah you know it's quite an quite an intensive way for me i mean i i prefer to have things to sit in the ground all year and you know and and sort of may die back with really hard frost but you know come back the following year we're not disturbing the soil you know we're getting a crop for a few years Mm. um and i mean you know when you're growing veg you need herbs because this is the other thing as well it's not we're not just a farm that's going to be growing veg and and growing sheep and stopping there you know this the whole point is as we work through this you know we're going to have people coming here to the farm to engage with us um, and to cook with us and yeah yeah you know having everything that you need here is 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 key to that too um and i mean herbs are just herbs are incredible especially when they're grown organically mm. um and in in a, in a really healthy soil i mean the flavor is just incredible
0: I actually read a piece, and I think it was the Times the other week about um, all these different varieties of herbs that we just never have over here in the UK. And um, I mean, we, I know about things like apple mint and lemon thyme, and yeah. but there's even more incredible flavors out there. And yeah. yeah, it'd be so nice to be able to experiment with some of those.
1: Yeah, we I mean so something we grow. Um, we grow Mexican marigold. Oh wow. And- which is really, really great.
0: What does that taste like?
1: Well, we first like grown it along long um and we we called it apple marigold, and it's because it's got like a sort of tropical f- fruit sort of apple skin kind of fresh flavour. It's quite quite unique, mm. um, and especially in the younger leaves, it's 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 really really beautiful and fragrant. As it gets older, it gets a little bit more um, say astringent maybe, and it's better for things like oils and ice creams so when it's young sort of using it fresh as a herb on the plate or you know through through a salad it's it's really incredible
0: oh it sounds amazing um,
1: and, it, and it also um has an effect of uh, suppressing all the all the weeds underneath it too oh it's, really it's, yeah but it's like um, a
0: natural sort of um, herbicide
1: exactly <laughs> in, a, in a way so you can kind of use it to clear areas that you've got issues with because i mean one of the issues we've got here on the farm is um is couch grass it's like a super invasive grass so you can kind of you know have a nice clean vegetable bed and then by the end of the season it's just covered in grass again oh well, no um, but the the mexican marigold can really help with that so it's it's again it's kind of growing something that's really interesting unique and flavorsome but also having you know it having a use in the system
0: mm. Has a real purpose.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so the harvest from the farm, I know, have already been featured on menus at top restaurants across the country, like Lyle's Kill and Davies and Brook at Claridges.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But
0: um, you can get at home as well, can't you?
1: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this this is the beautiful thing. So I mean, you know, working with the tourer, it just changes everything. I mean, you know, the the hardest problem some of the time is finding. You know market and a, and a customer for your product um, mm. i mean obviously i've got great connections in the industry with um with chefs too but when it comes to actually you know sort of scaling things up and moving things out and reaching people with with the message of regenerative agriculture and you know food that's produced in, in an incredible way now having the ability to get into into people's homes basically reach anyone that's actually interested in the product oh, it's just it's just incredible you know small farm in cornwall mm. being able to to engage with and and um, supply people uh, absolutely anywhere really
0: yeah so if i wanted to get some of your produce um obviously i order it via Natura, but can yeah. i just um select your farm or will it be part of like the general box
1: no, no, no. You, yeah, you'll be able to go on there and search for, for Melilo. Okay. And, um, and, our, and our product, exactly that. Oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah.
0: Perfect. So I, I definitely want to try some of those um, architects. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they'll, they'll be available sort of August, September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do, we do have a small amount of um, like a couple of hundred plants that we've been, been working with for the last couple of years. So they'll, they'll actually be ready in, in April too. So there will, be, there will be some there earlier.
0: And do you think, I mean, I imagine that, there's, I mean, there's obviously a finite amount. Does it all sell out? Like, have you, do you get rid of everything that you produce?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, this, this is, I mean, last year, because we were only starting and we started starting small, you know, yeah, it was pretty much as soon as it, as soon as it um, was available, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's gone sort of thing. But that's what we hope with the artichokes, you know, that they'll be, yeah, there'll be plenty basically. And, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> so we're just, we're, we're picking a few crops that we really do, want to try and grow and you know they're the crops that we've seen do well here and 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 you know mm. you know give us good soil health and and a good supply at the same time
0: okay great and then you said um you're you know you're still a chef obviously you're growing all this incredible stuff you're still a chef and you have plans for the farm um so is that a restaurant i think i saw a brewery somewhere as well
1: yeah exactly yeah we've yeah i've got a little we've got a little brewery here
0: oh you've got one already
1: yeah 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 yeah, I mean, I built that um, when I started, really. And the plan was the, the plan originally was to come onto the farm, get the restaurant space um, ready, and brewery's kind of part of that too. But then it just became became very apparent that we need to focus on the farming and get the farming right and understand it properly to really, you know, have longevity with the whole thing. So
0: yeah, so yeah, farm first and then see. <laughs>
1: 100% yeah 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 yeah.
0: see how it goes uh, but that's incredibly exciting and um, I'd love to come visit one day
1: yeah please do um, please do.
0: yeah when this is all over <laughs> yeah. and we can travel yeah.
1: exactly yeah. Um,
0: but yeah it sounds incredible what you're doing and I can't wait to try some of your veggies via Natura as well but lastly can I just ask what your favourite seasonal ingredient is right now as this is a question I ask all my guests
1: right now uh, I'd say celeriac yeah yeah, it's pretty much the only thing left um, left for us on the farm, along with juice and artichokes. But, I mean, yeah, celeriac, I absolutely love it. It's, I mean, again, if it's grown well, the flavour is just incredible, and it, yeah, holds all winter, and you can do so many things with it too.
0: Yeah, yeah. so have you been just, um, st- like, kind of cold-strawing it as it, you know, when it's ready?
1: Well, we're actually just leaving it in the ground. Okay, and, yeah. Yeah, it's just sitting in the ground quite well at the moment. I mean, it, and if you get serious hard frosts, kind of like week after week, then then you know you might you might it might start to rot but generally they just stay there and they're much you know soil is always better with plants in, in it so Mm-mm. you know they're better off in the ground than they are you in know in a fridge kind of thing so
0: yeah so what have you been doing with it what are your favorite celeriac recipes
1: um i mean the favorite thing at the moment is cooking a uh just a celeriac gratin in the agar lovely so like i just you know cream flavored with um garlic that we grow and some lemon thyme and uh, bay and then, um, and then the celery sliced through, sort of just warmed and folded and then thrown into a gratin dish with some, some cheese on top. Slowly baked, definitely one of my favourites.
0: Delicious, a bit of Cornish gouda.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> Sorted.
1: Perfect.
0: Uh, lovely, thank you so much for speaking to me, Dan.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: To find out more about Melilo Farm and order Dan's produce, click the Notora website link in the episode notes and follow Chef Dan Cox on Instagram. Now we welcome our resident forager Fergus Drennan, who is here to speak about crab apples. If you want to catch up on all of Fergus's wild food clips, then I've included a link to the page on my website in the episode notes.
2: Suddenly stumbled upon on a winter's walk amidst the muted brown colours of fallen leaves, There really are golden riches to be found. So have a wonder, especially along woodland edges. Looking out for small, gnarly trees, although more than anything, look down. Bursting with robust, tart and acidic flavour. Though you may find often in a shower of just amazing golden abundance. Or kind of there and kind of present, but you have to get down on all fours and root around in the leaf litter to really reveal the full abundance. There they are, gorgeous, cold, resilient crab apples. So what you found, perhaps they are generally wild crab apples, or perhaps they're feral ones, perhaps hybrids, who knows? What is sure is that you are in for a complete flavor bomb treat. I'd agree, for most palates, and mine included, eating them raw is a real astringent mouth puckering (laughs) ordeal you know but they're just about palatable but their robust flavor is really a joy to work with and it's the same with many wild foods there's a a richness there that's very different from the flavors in this case of an apple found and readily obtained from a shop So you know the variety is the same Malus silvestris, but the wild one is is just a joy to find at this time of the year when there's not much else around apart from kind of rose hips in terms of fruit. So there's lots of things you can do with them. They tend to be between two and four centimeters in diameter. Take them home, give them a good wash. They can you know have a little bit of kind of brown or rather kind of black discoloration on, but that still comes off if you give it a good wash. So raw, there are ways of using it raw. You can kind of chop them and infuse them into vodka and then sweeten it and kind of spice it. That's kind of quite nice. Slightly earlier in the year, you can, and what it works now too, you can kind of juice them and use that juice as a kind of tart, sharp verjuice in recipes and cocktails. Most traditionally, they would be used for making crab apple jelly. I kind of like to do that in October, combining it with hawthorn and rowan, or rowan and rosehip. But my favourite thing to do with crab apples, and I'd highly recommend this, is to do a version of tart tartan. And so for that, just get them, wash them, remove all the stalks, and then in a pan, add some brown sugar and some butter... Uh, kind of heat that, get that cooking, add in your crab apples, fill the pan, I uh, leave a, a tiny little space actually so you can move them around a bit. Now cook that quite slowly. It takes, it really does take about 20 minutes to kind of really soften them up. Sometimes you might have to put a lid on, sometimes you might have to add in a little bit of water. So traditional tart tartan at that point you would put over puff pastry put it in the oven cook it and when the puff pastry is cooked then you flip the whole thing over. I actually prefer to use sweet short crust pastry and partly the reason at this time of the year I like to sneak in a little bit of inner bark of birch as a powder as a kind of unique ingredient and also just to finish it off I like to Drizzle over a little bit of rosehip syrup, which is really nice. But yeah, crab apple tart tartan. I think it really brings out the best of their flavour and their appearance. They just look so wonderful all together in the tart. But I would say just before you flip it over or just before you put it into the pastry, what's really nice is to just squash them a little bit. Just burst open those skins a little bit. There we go. Look out for crab apples.
0: That's all for today's show. If you enjoyed it, I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. It really makes a difference. Join me next week for the final episode of Series 2.